The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us. Uh, You as intentional spirit, you know, there's very little as powerful as the power of intention. We create, we literally pave a road that is non-existent often uh, to open the door for a greater reality or possibility. And that is no different than our featured guest today. She is known all over the world as an accomplished author about ideas and topics that are passionate, things she has uh, felt a call to as an intentional spirit herself. Catherine Lanigan, welcome to our show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's a a big pleasure for me to be here, Temple. I'm very, very pleased that you invited me. Thank you very much. I'm honored. So uh, the first question, I well, (laughs) 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 I wanted to be funny first, I guess, and ask you the question, like, and when do you sleep? That's an important (laughs) thing, because you are a best-selling author of nearly 40 published titles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm actually a little over 40 at this point because I just finished a couple more uh, this year. And um, But the answer is yes. And, you know, that is so funny because my <laughs> friends, even my friends around here say, and do you sleep? And, uh, and the answer is uh, that actually has been a little problem lately. <laughs> well, at some other time, maybe not today, I want to talk to you about uh, metabolism and those kind of things because – Whatever you're doing, I'm I'm interested in that. That's for sure. But uh, all kidding aside, and honoring your all that you've done and uh, the significance um, from anything through chicken soup for the winter soul to chocolate for a woman's heart to things mm-hmm. that you address spot on with addiction and other things, uh, you've been highly recognized in the field of writing and. And being a difference maker by being willing to be different. But how did you become intentional? Was there a uh, epiphany? Did you have an aha moment? Are you a series of aha moments? How did you get into the work that you do now? I think it was a supernova. <laughs> um, 
The th- I wanted to be, uh, when I was very little, I wanted to be a journalist. I mean, when I was literally five, six years old, I I don't know if anybody ever remembers Brenda Starr, the comic strip that was in the newspapers, but I just thought Brenda Starr was better than any kind of superhero or any, you know, anybody that, any, any, television star, movie star, anything. I wanted to be Brenda Starr. And um, all through grade school, I puttered around with writing. I didn't, you know, I meet these kids now, and I mean, they're eight years old, and they. Uh, I wrote a book, and they did. Well, I wrote, you know, little, little verses here and there and that kind of thing. It wasn't that um, strong. But anyway, I was very encouraged all the way through high school, and I went to college to be to, to get into the school of journalism. And my first semester in school, um, my first English class that I had was a Greek mythology class. And I was in a Catholic all-girls school, and the head of the English department was my, my professor. And for our final that year, we could take a multiple you know, multiple choice quiz, or we could write our own Greek myth. Well, I chose to write our own Greek myth. It was supposed to be 15 pages long, and mine was 55 pages long. So the next semester, we had a traveling professor from Yale, or or he had taught both at Yale and Princeton, who was teaching creative writing. And and she recommended that I get in his class, which was really only supposed to be for second semester senior women. So, I mean, they were, they, these are girls that they already had publishing jobs in New York and some of them had already written and had been published. So they really knew what they were doing and I was just a freshman. So I, you know, I really wasn't supposed to be there. But anyway, after about a month, we wrote our first short story. So the month, so the night before, I was supposed to submit mine to the class for everyone to read it and critique it, etc. Um, the professor called me and said, "I'd like to see you in my office tonight before we have class tomorrow." And I said, "Okay, fine." So I went to his office, and um, you know, make a long story short, he said, "You know, frankly, Miss Lanigan, your writing stinks." I have no idea how you got into my class. You have no talent. You have no ability to write. You can't, you have no idea about characterization or plot structure or, I mean, the list just went on and on. He said, however, you are a very fortunate young woman because I have caught you at the crossroads of your life. Your parents are spending a lot of money on your education and you're never going to make it in journalism. You're barely going to make it through my class. What you need to do is you need to change your major. Oh, and my God. <laughs> so then, oh, it gets better. So then after I'm, you know, and I'm like 18 years old, and I'm crying and the whole thing. And I said, I said, I just don't understand. I, you know, I, I, I've, I've always, my teachers have always said that I could write. And he said, well, they were wrong. And he said, uh, he said, I am very mindful of the fact, because I had announced to everyone that I wanted to graduate summa cum laude. That was, I had to have a 4-0 when I walked out, walked away from the doors of this place. So he said, I know that you want to graduate summa cum laude. He said, there's no way you're going to get through my class. And it's too late to take a pass-fail. So I will be your crutches to get you through my class. And I will give you a B in my class, which won't hurt your grade point average that much when you're, you know, finishing up. If you promise never to write again. And I said, it's a deal. 
So that night, I took my little manuscript, my short story. I went to the top of my dorm and to the roof with a metal wastebasket, and I burned my manuscript, and I promised God that I would never, ever, ever believe in a dream again if it wasn't real, and I couldn't put it in my mouth and chew it and taste it and and spit it out, then there was no way I was going to, you know, put all my eggs in some basket that was some ethereal pipe dream. I just wasn't going to do it. So I changed my major and forgot about journalism. I mean, I still stayed with English, and, you know, I became a teacher and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway... So I didn't write anything for 14 years. Now, this is all during the 70s when everybody and his brother is getting published by, with poems. And, you know, Jonathan Livingston Seagull was really big with Richard Bach and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, I mean, everybody was getting something in some underground newspapers someplace. Those were exciting times, weren't they? I know. And I missed the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking me back for a moment. Those were like e-books, you know? Exactly. I was like, oh, my God, what I could have done with that that 14 years. Well, anyway, so I was on vacation with my, um, my husband and my son in San Antonio, Texas, at the time when Judge Woods had been assassinated by the Hells Angels. And this was a big, big, big news story in the United States. And I mean... So San Antonio was swarming with every newscaster, every journalist, written, televised journalist that exists. I mean, I was in the elevator with, you know, Howard K. Smith. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is – I was in heaven. Well, anyway, I saw – I was down at the pool, and I saw this group of of directors and journalists and everybody standing around. And at that point in my life, I was the most non-assertive person you could possibly imagine. And I went up to this table and I said, you know, I just want to tell you that I think that what you all do is some of the greatest work in the world, being a journalist. And this one guy turned to me and he said, well, thank you. And I said, well, I always wanted to be a journalist, but I have it on good authority that I have no talent. And and it was like you could hear a pin drop, you know, and he said, who told you that? So I told him this story about the professor and he said you know i'm really ashamed of you because you haven't even he asked me if i had written anything i said no i haven't written anything he said i'm ashamed of you because you haven't even tried so i really thought about that that was my epiphany i'm ashamed of you were the words that my mother got me to use she used those words every time she wanted you know the windows washed or the the, my bedroom cleaned or anything like that so i went home and i Got my son went to school that went to first grade that year, and I had his little notebook. And in longhand, I started writing a um, World War One romantic spy novel. And I got I didn't even have a typewriter. I wasn't going to do anything. Well, anyway, um, I talked some of my girlfriends in the cul-de-sac where I lived into typing up the pages because they all had typewriters. They had all been secretaries. They typed up the pages, and after I had about three-fourths of the book done, I sent it to this journalist. He had given me his card. I sent it to him. I didn't hear anything for about a month or so, and I finally I got, I got this phone call, and he said, you know, I got your book, and I thought it was darn good. And I said, well, thank you. And he said, yeah, I sent it to my agent, and she's in New York, and she's going to call you in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I Divine said, okay. No doubt about it. Oh, my. 
<laughs> so this woman calls me from New York, and she says, Kathy, you are startlingly talented. And I said, um... Well, thank you. And I'm thinking, this is a far cry from, frankly, Miss Lanigan, your writing stinks. So I, she goes on and on, and she says, you know, I love this about the book, and I love this. And she said, now, I'm not really sure. How, how are you seeing this? Do you want to go trade? Do you want to go hardcover? Do you want to go soft? Maybe maybe we should really think about going soft. You know, it's not it, because if we, if we, this is very different to have a spy novel that's a romance novel at the same time. There is no genre for it. And, and she's just going on and on and on and she said so um, she said I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to talk to Joe Fox who's the head at Random House I'm going to see him at a cocktail party in a couple of days so I'm going to talk to him and see what advice he gives me and then I'll send you a contract with my my agency and then I you know and then when do you think you can get this book finished I have no idea what this woman is talking about. And I, and I just pulled, I said, how about two weeks? And she said, well, how many pages is there going to be? And I said, I don't know, 200. She goes, oh, that's great. I have no idea. I've just now committed myself to 200 pages in two weeks. <laughs> that so is I like the over book. the top. I know. I'm, I'm like, I oh, my God. Well, I, I finished the book. I send it to her. And or anyway, and it's, so anyway, when I'm hanging up the phone, she asked, she says, "All right, now, do you have any questions that you want to ask me?" And I said, "I just have one." And she said, "What is that?" And I said, "Does this mean you like the book?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how out of it. I mean, talk about naive. I created naive. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, now, but you know, there is something about. That, that kind of statement, you know, uh, Marlo uh, Thomas wrote the book, Right Words at the Right Time. Uh-huh. And she kind of, um, you know, went around and asked different, in, in that case, famous people, you know, what words that you hear at the right time that catapulted you or stuck with you forever. Mm-hmm. And there could also be a book, uh, and it looks like you'll write it before me, but it's called, you know, like the wrong words at the wrong, you know, at the wrong time. <laughs> Because my teacher told me I was never going to amount to anything. She told my parents that when I was oh in sixth grade. said I was never going to amount to anything because I talked too much. Yeah. And that's how, that's how I've made my whole life. But no yeah. matter what, and even though we, you know, it's still part of our sacred story. We still tell that story because that was someone of influence that didn't need to say something like that to us. That's, that's right. for sure. That's, that's for right. sure. And it right. just lies dormant in our in our psyche, even though we know better, you know, emotionally, it, it's a process. Well, an author right. told me one time, I mean, I've done three books, um, but somebody of your level, I'm curious, the author said that every one of his books was like, you know, a child. So you have exceeded all uh, Catholicism and Mormon faith and everybody because you have like... Close to fifty children now. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you all it that way or not. But goodness, um, as you look at your children, your your body of work, um, mm-hmm. are there any particular themes? Uh, certainly, I would think that they've evolved chronologically as you've changed. But what are some of your uh, your deeper works that? that you feel you're so glad that you have been a part of that that particular book's life? 
Well, very frankly, the um, the ones that are the deepest are my are my series of angel books, and but that came and that came about about midway through my my career. I had written probably about ten. Uh, historical romances and 10 women's fiction by that time. But my father had, my mother and my father were at the Grand Canyon and they both had heart attacks looking at the Grand Canyon. And yeah. Oh, this is a story. Anyway, they, so the ambulance comes and it, you know, takes, takes them down to Flagstaff to the. That's where the, they were together at the same yeah, time? They're both standing there looking at the Grand Canyon. My mom yeah, says. I've never heard that story in my whole life. And what age were they? Um, uh, let's see. Mother would be, uh, early seven. Let's see. Mother was late 60, probably my age now, probably about 68. And Daddy was seventy, seventy. You know, they were late sixties, early seventies. And um, uh, mother collapsed first, and so my father was able to uh, get get to a phone, one of those emergency phones that they have. They were, I think, they were on the south rim, looking literally looking at the Grand Canyon. They were on one of those lookout point things, you know. Yes. And um, and then they the ambulance came, got her, and so my my dad said he was feeling a little bad, but anyway, he got in the ambulance and went with her to the hospital. And as they were wheeling her into ICU, he dropped dead outside the doors of ICU. He was dead for 22 minutes on the floor. They're banging on his chest. They broke all of his ribs, broke his collarbone. I mean, just everything they could to try and bring him back. You know, they had the defibrillator. I mean, this in a hospital. They had everything. Anyway, he was dead for 22 minutes before they brought him back. And um, anyway, I got the call. My sister called me. I was in, I was living in Houston. My sister lived here in Indiana, and she called me and she said, "Mother and Daddy are both in ICU in Flagstaff. Yeah, I need you to get on a plane, fly to Phoenix. I will fly from Chicago to Phoenix. I will meet you in Phoenix." And she said, "I've already chartered a, a puddle jumper. We'll fly from Phoenix." up to Flagstaff so that we can get to them in the hospital. I said, okay, fine. So the two of us flew through the night. And back then, this is in the 80s, back then planes actually did take off when there was lightning and thunder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it, was just, it didn't matter. She was like, we're going. <laughs> and uh, so we got there, and um, my father, I, I was the first one into the room, and my father, that's a really long story with a lot of issues, but anyway, he said, um, I'm so glad you're here because I have to tell you what they told me on the other side. Now, my father was very, very Catholic. He had never referred to heaven as anything other than heaven. Heaven was heaven. That's it. For him to say the other side, that's not in his nomenclature. doesn't wow. happen. So I was like, okay, he really went there. And so I, he said, I was talking to the, you know, it was like conversational, you know, we sat down and had a cup of coffee. I was talking to the being of light. And I said, you mean an angel? And he goes, no, no, no. Those are the other guys. This is a being of light. When you first get there, you meet a being of light. I was like, really? 
okay? And he said, well, the being of light said that your writing has to, that you're going to write a book. And I said, well, Dad, since I've done about 10 or 12 of those, and he goes, no, 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 no. Your writing has to change. And I said, what do you mean it has to change? And he said, you have to start writing down all these stories. Mine will be one of those stories. And you're going to write stories about angels, of, of the angels that visit people on earth so that everyone can understand that this isn't the only life and that there are all kinds of things going on they need to be aware of. And he said, and then when you die, you will be judged on these books that you write. These books, not your other books. Oh, wow. And I was like, nothing like having it written out for you, saying, this is the deal, kid. (laughs) Wow, that is fascinating. And did your mother, did she live and survive? Yeah, and then it turns out that my mom had, um, uh, what do you call that, when you're, um, just uh, the the, um, atmosphere, the uh, elevation was too too much for her. She didn't actually have a heart attack. Daddy's, he only had one ventricle left working. He was in the hospital for a month. He really, really, he did a number. He should have, he should have died and stayed dead, but he did not. And, um, but mother was fine. She was okay. And, um, but anyway, he, while over the next four years of his life, he died two more times, had two more death experiences, and had, I don't even know how many strokes he had. Oh, I think he had seven strokes altogether. And um, he he had quite quite a ride over the next few years, you know. And you can find and Catherine Lanigan's um, book, Angel Watch. It's called Angel Watch. It's our cup of tea. Goosebumps, signs, dreams, and divine nudges. And you also want to take the time to go to Catherine Lanigan's website, Catherine with a C. Go to her website and check out her other uh, 40-plus works of craft and and being a tremendous author. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening and more so for your ongoing support of Unity Online Radio because of you were featured throughout the world and we are very grateful for your participation and for your sharing the message about our show. We'll be right back following this short break. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, Please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why, you can have things you don't even know you want, but not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. 
Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors' The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at theintentionalspirit at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking today with an author that you really need to know and you need to follow um, just a tremendous amount of work and a, a, just a wide range of, um, of purpose and intention. Um, we're talking with Catherine Lanigan with a C. You can go to her website, Catherine Lanigan, and that will access you to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the list of her 40-plus uh, books. We booked her a long time ago, and <laughs> at the time she had... 40-something, and now she has somewhere in the middle 40 number. So she is a mover and a shaker. And uh, we're going to have her on the show one time and just ask her, how does she get all the energy that she has? But sticking with the subject we're talking about today, we're talking about Angel Watch. And you do so much around angels, Catherine. And uh, you're working on your fifth book now. And you really welcome people sending in their either near-death experiences or their angel stories with pets or people, right? And I um, sure do. I do. Mm-hmm. You want them to email you. Um, I'm going to say it now, and then we can say it again at the end of the show, because I think this is so cool for our audience that you actually get to participate and perhaps even uh, be printed um, there might be one of you out there that one of your teachers told you you couldn't write either or speak, but it's Kath Lanigan, so C-A-T-H Lanigan, the number one, at gmail.com. How did, how did I do, Catherine? Did that, you did that, perfect. That That's clear? it. Great. All right, so you want to send those to Catherine um, now, you know, soon, because she's now uh, delving into the material and, um, you know, you just heard her say she could do like 200 pages in just a couple of weeks. So get those over <laughs> to her. <laughs> but when 
we look at the book, uh, I, this is always fascinating to me, and I've always known um, all my life there's such a thin veil, and I've got some stories I'm going to send you to of pets and people. But that being said, um, Angel Watch, I'm very intrigued by that. The goosebumps, signs, dreams, and divine nudges. Um, give us a little bit about what we can expect uh, by getting that book. Um I absolutely adore this book. This was the first one, and goosebumps are, you know, uh, uh, first of all, I don't believe in any coincidences. One of the things, you know, we're talking about my energy, is one of the things is I believe that I have with me angels and the Holy Spirit around me all the time, that I get the my energy from them, and Every, it seems like everything I do when I know that it's the right thing, I get goosebumps. Or I, if I say something, then I get goosebumps. That's a sign to me that I'm on the right path, that I have not wavered, that I'm, that everything is in place and everything's just the way that it's supposed to be. Because whatever it is, it is just the way that it is supposed to be. But many of us have all kinds of, of, incidences and and events occurring in our lives that are little mini miracles or or big miracles and we are so secularized and and disconnected from our spiritual side just because that's the way that the world is with all of our technology and the way that our our lives are so full of all kinds of gadgets and things to do and lists to, you know, duties to perform, chores to do, that we don't stop and just listen. So... I think that, you know, when I say angel watch, I mean we should be watching out for our angels. We are, the angels are already watching over us. This is the reverse. We need to watch out for our angels and really pay attention. I thank them every morning, noon, and night, a couple of times during the day, because I, I truly believe that not one of us could get through too many hours in a day without several, several angelic interventions to just make sure that we get from a point A to point B in our car correctly with the way that half the people drive in the world these right. days. Mm-hmm. You know, and just just simple things that you may think are just, you know, you go and you start the lawnmower and the the you know, the it flips up the wrong way and you could have been your hand could have been sliced off, but it didn't. All kinds of little things like that. You didn't do those. You didn't save yourself. There's, there is such a thin, like you said, a thin veil between this world and the next world, this dimension, the next dimension, this segment of this giant prism of life that is, that exists. And we're just this one little sliver that's on this big, huge quartz crystal that is all of life, and um, to think that we're the only little piece going on is is uh, that is naive. I mean, I was naive, but I'm not that naive anymore. And Angel Watch is a compilation of all kinds of stories from people from all all walks of life. Some are my friends, some are my some are my, our family members, so that I was able to substantiate. Each of their stories, I was either there or it happened to me or I, I, 
truly, truly trust that person, or I, you know, interviewed many of their own family members for them to say, oh, yes, that, you know, that really, really did happen. But um, there are so many fascinating stories, which actually the most fascinating thing to me is how many things happen to us that we don't talk about to other people. But for some reason, people will send me an email, which I would really encourage you all to do, and I would love to hear those stories and put them in the next book because there are so many people who do need to hear them. They need them desperately. Yes, they do. They absolutely do. It, it just broadens our humanity, and, and it does. Um, it expands our, our paradigm of thinking that, this is just really all there is. That's, like you said, it's just really a non-intelligent assessment to just think it's, it's all about here and it's all about a one-time thing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, bless. So, anyway, um, I want to reiterate to email Kath Lanigan number one, C-A-T-H Lanigan number one at Gmail. So you got um, a lot of um, incredible feedback from this this book. Is this the one that led to many in this series? Yes, it did. Actually, we this one did extremely well, and I, I also went on a. Um, Back then, you know, you went on, you actually went on a physical tour because there used to be a lot of bookstores, which there are not you know, as many these days. And I'm, and it was great because I could, you know, really sit down and talk to the readers or talk to somebody who would come in and say, you know, I have to tell you my story. And I would leave and go literally go sit in the parking lot and I would start writing down everything that they told me. They would, you know, write their name or give me their business card or whatever. And then I would call them later and we'd still keep talking about their stories. And then that those stories then led to divine nudges and then those stories led to angel tales and then angel tales led to um angelic guides angel guides is the next one coming up and um and now we're working on another one so that helps me to understand that each step that i take helps build a little more confidence in people so many people are afraid that Others will think that they're crazy if they actually saw an angel or they're crazy if they saw a dead relative or one of the experiences I had when my father actually was, when finally when he was dying, you know, he said, I keep, I keep trying to die, but I'm like a cockroach, you know, he can't kill me. I keep coming back. But um, I had this um was my great aunt who had lived through the earthquake in San Francisco in 1906. And she was tall and slender and had dark hair. She was really, really pretty. And my father, my mother was sitting next to my father. This is in like the hospice room in the hospital. And I was, and I was reading a magazine across from my opposite from my father. So I was like at the foot of his bed. Okay. And he woke up and he just kind of opened his eyes and he said, Catherine, there is a human being sitting on your head. And I said, no, she's probably standing right next to me. Now, by this time I could see her. She'd been following me around ever since the Grand Canyon situation. 
So, and which that story is an angel watch as well. And he said, I said, is she wearing a brown riding habit? And he said, yes. And I said, well, describe her face. And he said, she has very big eyes like you. And I said, and I said, and, and, and um, I said, and she has dark hair. And he said, yes. And my mother said, I said, well, she's from San Francisco. She told me she's from San Francisco. And my mother said, that's my Aunt Barbara. Oh, God. <laughs> I said, I think that's Aunt Barbara because she said her name is Barbara. <laughs> and I said her last name begins with a K. Now, I never knew about this Aunt Barbara until this moment in time when my mother's telling this story. And I thought her name was, I, I, uh, I don't know how I got it, but or I woke up one night and thought it was Kendall. And my mother said her name is Kratz. The last name is Kratz. I couldn't believe it. I went, really? And she said, yes, she was very wealthy. And my Uncle Wilbur used to put her on a train to go from San Francisco to New York. From New York, she got on a boat, went to Paris, and picked out her summer and fall wardrobes twice every year. Wow. And she was there to take my father to the other side. My father died three days later. I don't understand in our society why people want to, you know, uh, invalidate other people and deny it. It's so evident and so obvious it happens all the time. And the more you see it happens, uh, the more it happens uh, all around all the time. And Mm -hmm. um, it's like a little underground control thing, you know, um, that kind of keeps people in a limited uh, thought process. That's probably, you know, one thing. But, um, yeah. I agree it's, with that. It's so evident that it, it happens so much, and it frees people, too, once you understand it's not just as we see it. It's so free. It is. It's very freeing. And, you know, those people who want to call you crazy or want to say, no, you never saw that, They all they want to do is, is control you because that gives them a sense of power because they feel powerless to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. Well, thank you for being part of the change. That's all we can do. <laughs> and our level is to model, and uh, and we hold it as being part of the new norm. That's why we are um, sharing the work that we are all the time. Um, how did, uh, I was very curious about the book, um, Sophie's Path. Uh, is that a personal-related story or just... Um, like so many of us, you're um, you're wanting to take a, a stand for the um, the deep world of um, you know addiction that we live in today. Back when I really wanted to not feel, I had to go to a back road somewhere in the dark and risk my life. And now you can walk into many storefront windows and get whatever you want. Um, what uh, what brought that book about, Sophie's Path? This is very interesting. I about four years ago, I I wanted a backlash again in my fiction world. This is going from my spiritual world to my fiction world. I wanted a uh, I wanted a backlash series of books that was against all the erotica that was very very popular about four or five years ago, and I because 
in my career, which is now 37 years long, every time there's been something that's just wildly popular, the, the pendulum always swings back the other way. If you've got, you know, too much on one side, then it's going to swing the other way. So you always have to watch what that pendulum's going to do. And if you want to be ahead of the time and ahead of the work, watch what's going on now and then do the opposite. So I started building and creating this this mythical town of Indian Lake, and I had around maybe 25 to 30 different characters that I did character sketches on. I had maps that I drew. I had a downtown, the whole thing. And Sophie was one of my very first characters that I wanted to do a story about. And um, I, I want her to be very different. She's a cardiac nurse, and... Um, She'd always been considered the town flirt. I couldn't use any other kind of word to describe her because my, the series that I'm writing is a very clean romance. It has no violence, no sex, no cursing, no, I mean, it's, it's just a lot, it's a lot of story and it's not just a little romance. It's a lot of story that goes into, you know, a, a man and a woman getting together. But within, this whole Indian Lake series, of which eventually there'll be 26 books, you know, God willing, I live that long. But there are, uh, Sophie is, Sophie's Path is number six. It's the one that just came out in July, and I just finished the next one, and is called uh, Danger Zone, and I'm working on one called Wedding for Isabel. But these three books, Sophie's Path, Danger Zone, and Wedding for Isabel, all deal with drugs, drug addiction, and the enormous influx of Mexican cartels that have gone into the middle part of the United States and have, you know, taken up residence, and they look at us as just fresh, you know, fresh territory where they can just make a lot of money. And they rely on our naivete and our inability to realize that they are there to make money. And uh, Sophie, her story, about seven years ago, I worked with the Not My Kid Foundation out of um, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona, which is a foundation that's for young people, all addicts. It was not just drug addicts, but there were overeaters, anorexics, cutters, um, uh, prescription pill addicts, heroin addicts, meth addicts, and all of these kids. I interviewed 53, I think, addicts and their families, and I learned from their point of view, how they got started on drugs, what they had to go through to get to realize that they didn't want to do drugs anymore, make that decision, have that, you know, epiphany moment, that spiritual moment, and then how they triumphed with their lives and how they're helping others today and what they're doing to, to, um, to stop drugs. Their whole thing is to stop drug addiction before it starts because once it starts it's a whole different it's very very difficult for uh, young addicts to become clean and drug addiction is something that just hits every family I don't care where you are how much money you have or don't have what kind of education you do or do not have 
your nationality, your color. It is pervasive across not just the United States, but the globe. It's in every country you can think of. There's you, No matter who you talk to, they've got a nephew, a cousin, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle. There's addiction to something everywhere. And, and it's like nobody, you know, they, we're all searching for how we can, what, what can we do to stop these addictions? And, and a part of it is just education. A lot, so many people just close their eyes to it. They, they want to pretend it doesn't exist. They want to pretend they, they don't even want to know how to fight it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to fight it. They don't want to deal with it. They just want it to go away. That's how Americans have been addressing the issue of drugs and drug addicts and and the spread of drugs for years and years and years. That's why no program has worked is because we refuse to look at it. And in Sophie's path, that is what I am doing. Is She is the, the ER nurse who is there when the drug addict is brought in and she becomes a sponsor for an addict and all the emotions that you go through, you know, the, from the from the anger to dis, disdain, to understanding, to caring, to love, to grief, you know, all of those are in Sophie's path. It's a tough book. I mean, it's and but it's um, something that I had to do, and I kudos to my publisher who allowed me to publish to write it and publish it. I mean, they were behind me 100% still are. I'm just really amazed, really. Uh, Catherine, what kind of uh, feedback have you been getting from the book and comments or have there been some families that have um, started to see another way or what changes have occurred since the book came out? I've had very, very good um um, reviews on it, and and the fact that it's that it is um, um, a very hard story and a tough story with a lot of information in it, and then it's wrapped around a, a romance. Uh, some of the the emails that I've gotten is, I've given this book to two friends. I bought several copies, and you know I didn't need it, but my friend did, and and it's really helped her a lot to see that she needs to, she needs to go to the, her AA meetings or or her you know drug anon or Al anon meetings and all that kind of stuff, and especially for the family members that if there are you know. All kinds of groups, not just AA, but other kinds of groups that help the family members who are dealing with an addict. And um, I've had several emails. On, people said, you know, I'm going to go to the. I want to go to those meetings now. So that's been great. It's been great. Oh, that's that's very rewarding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. If it's yeah. one life, that's all I care about. Yeah. It's, 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 we never know with the rippling effect how the. Uh, how the differences can be and and what can be made. Um, I would imagine some of these books that you've done at some point are going to turn into a movie. Is that correct? Well, we keep working on it, and um, hopefully in another month or so we'll have some announcements. But, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm always working on stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just get that sense that something yeah. like that is going to be occurring. So uh, I, I, I trust so. that's going to be true for you because that will definitely highlight 
a lot of the work that you're, you know, putting out there. And again, just the, you know, all kidding aside, the tremendous energy you put into your work and supporting others. And it's just really, really impressive. Um, I want to remind everybody that you can go to the website, um, katherinelanigan.com. That's katherinelanigan.com. There's a a lot of information on the website that you can find from um, where she's going to be, where she's speaking, the books that she has, a blog, uh, just a wealth of, of information and for the conversations that continue with us as the uh, listeners, be sure and join me on templehays.com or firstunity.org. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you in our in our circle and part of our extended um, tribe, we would say. <laughs> uh, Catherine, <laughs> is there any other, any last uh, word or thought you would like to leave us with today? It's been a pleasure having you. Oh, this has just been a delight to be here, and I, you know, for all of your listeners, seriously, I, I, I cherish every story that they can send. Um, this is their chance. They don't have to put their name to the story. I do want to make that very clear. I have lots of stories that do have anonymous on there. If you are ever worried about, um, you know, not you just don't want your name out there. It doesn't have to be that way. So um, we can always, you know, keep it discreet. But those stories, re- they really do help other people. And I'm working on something now to try and get um, as many of these um, angel books into audio um, because we're we're certainly discovering that there are a lot of people, especially in their older years, that cannot read anymore, but they want to hear hear their books. So um, start looking for them on audio. Um, probably the first part of next year, that'll be really great. And um, I just keep intending to keep on writing and keep bringing more and more stories to the fore. And um, soldier on, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Well, thank you so much, and and bless you, you energizing uh, bunny you are. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you for your gifts, and um, stay in touch, please. I sure will. I will. Thank you so much for, for having me here. God bless. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour 
Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As human beings, we have been granted quite a bit of power. One of the greatest powers that we have is the power of choice. We can choose to react to situations and to people in any way that we like, and it has tremendous effect on our lives and our world. There is a spiritual law that states, thoughts held in mind will produce after their kind. Simply put, our thoughts can create our worlds. And it's quite possible to change the total direction of our lives by simply changing the way we think, by choosing to see life differently. If you're unhappy with the direction your life is headed, remember, you can change it. You've been given the power of choice. Learn how to choose it wisely. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? 
Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. 